live together in person they said it couldn't happen they said it wouldn't happen they said sure. they said they got a studio and then they stopped doing shows together in yeah. person and look at us look at us here we we're are. back and we're even working on a new look can you believe it we're working on it step by step piece by piece billy june almost killed thurston howell with a microphone speaking of which our guest is here the polo Rican himself oh yeah what's good people thurston howell the I got, third i got too many questions i'm excited too many questions first of all before I forget, please tell us your new shit you got coming out. Yeah, right so we now. don't we don't want to lose that. I don't because I'm gonna go deep. Well, this is like my 30th something project. Yeah, Thought Skillustrated, produced by Mateo Getz. You know, same Thurston Howell stuff, bangers, punchlines, raunchy music. You know, skilled out shit, street shit, comedy shit. Love it. It's a combination of. You know, it's a variety of raw motherfucking hip hop. I hope I could curse here. You, you, you already curse. did. Part of, please, part of my please curse. Vocabulary. <laughs> now, when you came in, you said you 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 made mention of something that like how and nothing. I didn't even say anything. Nothing came up, but you said I'm not like that no more. Yeah, yeah, you I'm, change I'm, your life. I'm a mature man at this point, man. You know, I have a lot more knowledge. I have a lot more understanding. I got a chance to see a lot more things. Mm, in life. Worldly. To change my perspective and my mentality, because you know I was. Is this a long way of saying that you used to be a wild boy? A little something. And then you mentioned it to me, and then as you mentioned it, I remembered. Did we have a problem once? Nah. Man, did you? I had no problem. Man. I think maybe you might have threatened me once in the <sighs> raucous days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hold no grudge towards you. Wait, Saif, he back to back went. We have no problem. <laughs> And then you said you threatened me. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know what? It don't even matter. Being honest, yeah. But you know, like I, I said, just was, remembered was, right now. It was a different mentality. Even I ain't have much understanding of the game. Mm. You know, and, and I just was wrong at the time. I mm. could have done things differently. And with me or in general? In general yeah. and with you. I don't. So I have even, no. I would even apologize at this point. I, say I my want no. Was totally wrong. I want wow. no apology. Okay, but can we hold on? Hold on, both of you. Yeah. I, I appreciate both of you greatly, especially now, talking New York shit, especially son. you. Thurston. You don't even know, man. No, I love hearing when people fuck I, all your Maryland shit. Yeah, son. I love hearing <laughs> when a cat like evolves in that way. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. But, but that being said, yeah. Our listeners crave. I don't even remember. As much as they love hearing things from our guests, <laughs> they love hearing unknown stories of our lives. So yeah. can you, do you, do you remember what happened with Sife? I remember everything. Oh, then oh, tell us do. the story. Oh, please. Let's hear it. What happened no, with no, you? No disrespect. None. No, none. Before, before you even say it, before you even say it, I hold no grudge, no animosity, and I'm a fan. So I only remembered literally right now. I was like, wait a minute. Was this something weird? Sife, Sife, oh, real quick, real, real quick. I just want to yeah. be clear. Just so Thurston knows the level of comfort here. Yeah. Even if in the story it comes out yeah. that he slept with your mom, yeah. you're good. Fine. There's nothing you can't go to, Thurston. Yeah. We're good. 
Nah, I mean, uh, Raucous was actually giving me a record deal after I dropped the single with them. This is after the, wait, wait, which after single? After the sound bombing. I had after a, the sound bombing, Brooklyn Hard Rock single, so they was interested in, in me doing a full-length album. So when they presented the idea to me, the idea was also presented with Cypher Sounds being the A&R. Ooh, oh, let's oh, yeah, get it. Yeah, the A&R there, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, I remember our first sit-down. You know, I was very arrogant at the time. I yes. was brand new to yeah, making Brooklyn. music and, you know, and understanding music. And I remember in the sit-down, I didn't even allow you to talk. When I was like, <laughs> don't never tell me how to make my fucking music. <laughs> That was my approach, not coming in. Now, now my understanding of the game and everything, yo, I could do everything you want me to do and still do what I want to do. Right. I wasn't thinking that way before. Right, I, I was, right. This is when you couldn't cross over. I wasn't with making no dance songs. I don't right, dance. Right, yeah. I don't fuck about the club. Mm-hmm. I want to make hard body hip hop. I'm a Brownsville. Yeah. Kid. And I remember after me and you had that conversation, the deal went away. And that's that's what I had remembered mm. the deal. I no longer had a deal on the table at Rockets, so it kind of uh. went away, and I never got to speak to you about it. Right, you know what I mean? right. So one day I'm just in a club, like doing a the performance. There was like a club that had two clubs, right? So I'm in one area of the club doing a performance with Dana Dane. Me and Dane is rocking our new joint and all that. I didn't even know there was another club attached to this club where you just open the door. Now it's a gigantic club and it's jam-packed and crowded. So after we did our show and all that, we walked into the other club. I didn't know it was popping like that. So you was on the turntables. You was spinning. Oh, it's like, it's like, you were in the popping party. <laughs> yeah, not nah, exactly. Uh, he was, was, he was in the underground he, he, And bar. you were in them? And yeah, okay. So now. You remember the club? I don't remember the name of it. Or Where not. was it? I in think, I think, Yeah, I think it was Damn. somewhere near the old Hot 97. Okay. Right there, right? Uh-huh. So when I seen <laughs> you, I immediately like, hold on. My deal went away. I need uh-huh. to holler at you. So I went, you know, I'm very wrong. I went to the DJ. <laughs> Yo, come here. I need to talk to you. The man is working. You know what I mean? I'm being rude. I'm at work. Yeah, but I'm also trying to demand it, you know, very ignorantly. So Flex is also DJing. Mm. And Flex began to get upset, you know? So he automatically called okay, all the now on me. I just got to... Blurry. I kind of remember now when you said Flex's name. I kind of remember. And Flex, you know, he did me like this. He told the bouncers, clean this up, like, you know, to get me out of here. I'm like, you know, I came, my approach was a little arrogant. Mm -hmm. I came here by myself. So he threw like four or five big giant bouncers on me. So I'm like, okay. And I walked away. The whole Brownsville is in this club at that time. All I did was walk around the club and I tapped everybody on the shoulder. Boop, 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 boop. And everybody followed me back to the DJ booth. So I went back to the DJ booth for like 50, 60 motherfuckers, the whole club. And and then, you know, I went to the bouncers first because they came at me aggressively. So I'm like, what's up? Damn. I need to talk to him. So I'm not going nowhere until I get to talk to him. And 
Sife came out and talked to me. Oh, I would have came out before all this happened. I never. Yeah, but Flex was like, they got me right, out of right. there. I never, you know, you, everybody, well, not everybody, some people know me. I'd never shy away from the talk. No, yeah. you're not a talker. Because the talk is so necessary where that's where most beef comes from. When you feel a person won't talk to you, that's where the disrespect. Exactly. You know what I mean? It I can go be right solved the with talk. the talk. The talk is the, but if is you, it. if you don't have the talk, now it feels like disrespect. Yeah. So what did he say? What did you say to him when you got his attention? <laughs> I don't remember how much I said, but um, like I said, I felt in my understanding now, my maturity, whatever I said was arrogant and it was wrong at the time. Now, I did not understand how the music business worked yet. I'm brand new. I'm fresh in hip hop. You know, I listen to hip hop. I'm a fiend all my life, but I'm an artist now, brand new. Mm. I, I wasn't an artist most of my life. You know what I mean? Wait, did you feel that I made the deal go away? Yeah, I felt oh. because after our conversation, I said, you know, that I refuse to hear anybody tell me how to make my music. Yeah, not understanding I, what an A&R's position is or, you know. But that wouldn't have been enough for you to make it, try to make even it go if away. You, even if you said that to me at that time, I would agree with you. Mm -hmm. I don't want no label motherfucker telling me what yeah. to do. I would assume, and this is, I don't remember any of this. I would assume that to the raucous people, that might have looked aggressive. Yeah, probably. To that, you know what I mean? You might have scared off they, Jerry. They yeah. Actually, they didn't do anything else with me after that. They just kept their distance. I, bro, you know how many a and I mean, studio sessions I've been in where artists spazzed out, da, 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 da. And I'm like, yo, let's have the talk. Listen, we need a radio joint. Annie Up is a radio joint. You know what I'm saying? It don't have to be Mace and Puffy and girls singing on the hook. Like I said, I had no knowledge wow. of how this goes. Now, I got a thousand radio joints yeah, for you yeah, right yeah. now. Like, <laughs> right, right. What do you need? What do you need? Yeah, well, but also, you now, were now also... Now I know how to keep that balance, you know, and, and work together. It's, it's always a collaborative thing, so I have that understanding at this point. Well, and you yeah. were also learning from people who'd come before you, where the, 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 the story that was sort of told was, fuck these label people, first of all, mm -hmm. and if anyone disrespects in any way... You need to always be one second away from spazzing on someone. Like that was kind of part of the philosophy at that time. You know what I mean? Was like you hear a story about I think very deeply. Yeah, I mean with with some except but even KRS threw that ass off the stage. You know what I mean? Bro. It was always right there. Yeah. So I, I you're and not the was, only one. That was my life before that. You know, it was very arrogant. It was, you know, and that's what we did. This was normal. It was, it, it was also promotions. You know what I mean? It was a way motherfuckers I, promoted themselves. They yeah. make noise so where your name gets repeated. Yeah. You know? So this is yeah. the joint, by the way, that was on Lyricist Lounge, right? Oh, this is the Lyricist Lounge freestyle like joint. Yeah. What was the song was Brooklyn Hard Rock on the sound? There it is, yes, yeah. So, I mean, that was already on there, but after that, I only had one verse on that song. It was released as a single, but they put one verse on the album, but that it made so much noise that they, they wanted me to do an album from there. Got it. So, and, and to this day, man, I've never had a deal. Damn, and that was probably... So you're saying that was probably the album, the, the best deal moment you had? No, I've had some greater ones even after that. Really? I've, I've never taken any of them. I mean, I'm, I have a... Huge catalog now. Yeah. 
So it's like, you know, I believe this was just the way it was supposed to go. This was how destiny, you know, provided the path for me to learn to do it myself because I was always self-sufficient with no deal. I had to create my own budgets. I had to buy four tracks. I had to learn how to mix. I had to learn to engineer. I had to learn to produce because I didn't have those luxuries of working with a machine behind me. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in that process, I got to learn everything to continue to do it myself and have the longevity I have now. So I believe it was just what was meant to be. So I can't be upset at anything or how it happened. Did it take you a while to get there? Not at all. You didn't have a long period of being like, it should have been me. I should have had. I've never been a bit of dude. I've never, you, you've ne you can go through all my social media and you'll never find a bitter moment of complaining or anything because everything is just a lesson you learn and, and you either going to follow up from what you learn and, and do what you're supposed to do. Cause I, I've never been a complainer. So then what was the catalyst from getting you from <laughs> hard rock? Who was, as you said about yourself, arrogant mm -hmm. and going the wrong way to being the guy who's like, everything's a lesson. What happened in the, what, what are like, you know what I'm saying? There's so many, like, I know it's a lot of I things I'm sure, that. but yeah. is there one Age. consequences was yeah. one. And then the blessings, I was blessed so much in life that it humbled me. You know, like I almost felt like I didn't deserve most of the stuff because of the life I once lived. But all of those things changed me. You Which know, blessings are you referring to? Just everything that happened in my hip hop life and career. You know, I got a chance to see the world. Before that, I was touring the prison system. I got to go to places I never would have dreamed or imagined. Even I made it so far in hip hop, I never believed I would have got this far. Yeah. I mean, it was always the goal. But I never believed it would have actually happened. And it happened on my own. You know, like that's the greatest thing I could say. No machine or label was ever behind Thurston Howell to make him a household name. He did that on his own. I don't remember that incident. I just kind of remember the feeling. I just, just Brooklyn dudes running up on me at a party. It's never good. No, it's never good. It's never good, but it's important, Sife. It's an important experience. <laughs> but you know, let me tell you the craziest part about it. I didn't even know the whole Brownsville was in the club that night. I'm over here doing an underground show in the other part of the club. I did not know there was another club in there, and neither did I know that my whole fucking neighborhood was walking right. around in there. And so, I'm talking about the entire Brownsville was inside of there that night. So you felt you got disrespected by either me, Flex, or security. You walked away, and then you see... A lot of people that know you from your neighborhood. Oh, no. I knew they were there before I went to At that point. Right, right, right. Yep. So, and you know they would ride. No. Everybody rides in my neighborhood. We Brownsville. So everybody sticks together. Yeah. So I knew everybody personally. I'm not just a, a dude for my project. I'm an all over right. Brownsville dude where I hang in every project right. yeah. with everybody. Just like Brooklyn. I'm not just a Brownsville dude. I'm a Brooklyn dude. I hang right. all over Brooklyn and every project, every dude I meet from jail, whatever, becomes my friend. Yeah. So now I have access to the entire Brooklyn, you know? So it was like that. So you a coincidence, the whole Brownsville was there. You're saying I could have died that night. <laughs> I, you know what? It was honestly- Murder would have been a lot. It was, it was like Flex, his approach was more, you know, the- Clean this up, like you know, I ain't nobody. Clean this shit up, get him out of here. So I'm like, oh, clean me up. Ah, but you know okay. why? Mm -hmm. You know why I'm still alive? Because I never. I, listen, I ain't no thug. I ain't no street dude. I never like claim to be like, oh, I'll fight anybody. But I always go to the beef and deal with it. And every single time I've done that, I get the respect where the person who was beefing with me then becomes my peoples forever because 
People, I don't know why people. I mean, I get why you run away. No, it I, is scary. I've only heard good stuff about you. Man. Come on, like come I, said, see? I yeah, believe from, you from everyone. You know what I mean? So it's like I had to reevaluate myself at some point because right. I was like that with many people. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's just arrogance, man. Not knowing but that. That's how it was back then, man. So if this is before Ooh, people, dumb. this is before people thought you were mean. This is when people thought you were like hungry, just wanted to be there, a good stand-up guy. Sure, yeah, was, this is before you were bitter, depressed, <laughs> angry at the world. <laughs> he was just a skinny kid, you know, oh, getting man. to play records for Flex. Sean, you know, good. Sean Price was even with me that night. He was. Oh yes, yeah, Sife update. You would have done one that of the night. people. So it was <laughs> like half <laughs> low lights in there, half Decepticons, and the rest of Browns. This is what ninety-eight. Oh Around 90, 90, 99, around then. Yeah. Yeah. Were man. you and Sean P always cool? Yeah, yeah, always cool. Basically grew up together. So go know? ahead. So let's do that. Go, let's take it back to Brooklyn. Early, early. Mm. I mean, early, early. Uh, what? I mean, 84, I'm a break dancer. I'm a graffiti mm. artist. You know, I'm touching the trains with my people. My boy has, my boy Beck. Sean P actually was a rhyme partner with my best friend has. They was a group at one point, you know? So this was before Helter Skelter, before boot camp, before all of that. So I remember I used to be in jail and I would just call Has House Collect just so I could hear him and Sean P. rhyme over the phone and things like that, you know, to get me hyped. Why up. were you in jail back then? Because you uh, were- I was in jail many times, many, many different For situations. many different things. Yes, many convictions. Uh, you know, I suffered many consequences, but that is what actually molded me to understand and to walk a straight path. When was the last time? When was the last time you were not free? My last time I came home in 94, from 90 to 94. Damn. When I came home from that last- That's a real one, Saif. That's when an I actual- When I came home from that last incarceration, I was um, placed on a work release program. And um, I started working for, well, first I was in a, in a rehabilitation program, like an alternative to violence thing, which was the Jim Brown program, the American Foundation for Social Change. So I mandatorily had to take the program. When I alternative took the program, to violence. Yeah, yeah, you I had like, to change. It was just a decision process making program that teaches you how to reprogram yourself, think it out, you know, mm. just don't respond, don't react to every little thing. Mm. So, I mean, I, I really participated in the program to where I, when I graduated, they actually came to me and offered me the position to teach the program wow. in prisons and in the work release facility because they needed a peer because everybody in the program is a prisoner right. on work release. So I took the job and um, that job just led me to many other things. You know, it, it definitely helped transform me, but it got me a job at MTV on work release. So I get to MTV, I'm working over here at uh, on-air promos, you know, I'm working behind the scenes of things, yeah, I remember that. that lasted damn near 10 years. So I learned- So if you remember Thirst being MTV? I remember hearing about it. You didn't cross paths? No, that's way before. I got to learn everything behind the scenes in production management. Is there a basic philosophy that you remember from your alternatives to violence that changed the way you approach conflict? Think from A to Z, not A to B. Mm. So that Good. was one that stuck with me forever. And also- There's many options, you know, to a problem. There are many solutions. Don't just, you know, I always had two. A and there's B. 20 or 25, you know what I mean? So- Was this helpful uh, in parenting as well? 
Uh, That's I, right. I mean, parenting question, Sife. Wow. That's this, right. This podcast is kind of different because I never believed in beating my children. But even just as far as solving a problem with them, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm very open and understanding and communicate very much with the children. Right. Let's have a conversation yep, about yep. what this could be. It doesn't just have to be direct even to punishment. Now, I, we have conversations and meetings weekly at a table with notepads. Everybody takes notes. With who? Every, with my children. Oh, your children. Everybody must have a goal, must have a plan, must have things they have to execute each week. And next week we sit down again and I want to know oh, what you're this. Sife, if you ever meet Sife, if you ever meet your kids, this is exactly what <laughs> yeah, you should I do. Try that, man. Well, how many you got? I got six. And what's the age range? Uh, nice. 37, oh. 36, 32, uh, 29, <laughs> 21, and 17. Yeah. Jesus. And you got grandkids. I got grandkids. Three He's grandkids. outside. Outside. He was outside. Bro. Yeah, I was so, outside early, man. So give me, okay, I know you talk about this all the time, but this from my personal education, I always like I'm fascinated by low lives and all that. Give me Decepticons and Low Lives. Mm -hmm. Both from Brooklyn. Both from Brownsville? Yes. Okay, well, what's uh, the both from many parts of Brooklyn? Right. Of course. So Brownsville how did that how did the, what's the difference between Decepticons and Low Lives and how did you cause some people were both? Yeah, some. So how became, do you? How did that happen? Some became low. Some Decepticons became low. Like right. we made it look good. Yeah, that was the difference with us. And you know, Decepticons was out there beating you up for nothing, and taking your Walkman on the train and shit like that, and carrying hammers and hitting people in the head with yes. the hammer. I remember the hammers. You know, taking their were, taking their yellow Sony Sport Walkman. Taking whatever they take anything from you. Just and cause. Just cause you were in the path. Okay, I mean? so, so where, where, was it a, like, hey, we're gonna go rob people? Usually, I think most of the Decepticon stuff was born in the in the high school. So, you know, when you're leaving high school, everyone takes the train in New York City yeah, high schools yeah. and things like that. So a lot of that chaos would begin like that. So I went to aviation for one year, mm -hmm. ninth grade, and I've come across Decepticons in those days. And I've seen hammers. Mm-hmm. Literally, like not what slang Carpenter, hammer for gun. Carpenter hammers. Right? Hammer. So, yeah, so Sean P, he was. Sean P was Decepticon. Smith and Wesson, Decepticon. Uh, a lot of dudes was Decepticon. And, De and Decepticons were all over Brooklyn. All over How Brooklyn. did you, how could you become one or how did you get recruited or asked to join? Uh, I, I don't know that process. They oh, you weren't a Decepticon. I became a Decepticon later with Sean P because Honorary. Sean P, no, he made me be a Decepticon yeah. with him because he chose to take on the double L's as well. So he was like, I'm going to rep the L's, but you have to rep D-Set with me. Mm -hmm. too. You have to be a Trigger uh -huh. Con. Right. You know, so Trigger Cons was like exactly what it says. You know yeah. what I mean? So even within my project, which was a low-life dominated project. Yeah, which is what projects? Marcus Garvey Village in okay. Brownsville. So half of the project was also Decepticon. So a lot of the dudes we grew up with together as well were Decepticons. So you know, a lot of people throughout history always thought lowlifes and the Decepticons were rivals. And in many places they were, but not in Brownsville. In Brownsville, mm. they was, it was a family thing with right. both. Now we look back and we know, okay, they were, these were gangs. But growing up in New York City, we never used the term gang because that always made us think of like 
LA like Crips and Bloods or whatever like nah you know I come from the gang era of the 70s like my family right. yeah, yeah, were yeah. those my yeah, mother yeah, yeah. My, her brothers her sisters my uncle my house con was consumed with gang meetings with you know <laughs> looking like the warriors wearing the yeah. suits and so I was naturally brought up that way right so I was kind of used to the conflict I used to see my family go to war with other gangs and you know I used Jeez. to see them Bleaching their denims in the bathtub and cutting things up to create their their um their color yeah. jackets and things like that. So it was an attitude I already had instilled with me because I was so used to being around it. Even being in the streets, anytime I had a situation or a fight, my mother's like, "Come on, you gonna go fight? She gonna make me fight?" Yeah, and you know, love moms and like it that. It was always like that. My mother was a fighter. Did you ever try to teach her any of the things you learned in alternatives to violence? <laughs> Yeah, man. I actually got to mature and she never did. Whoa. That blew my mind. That's what I couldn't understand. That a must lot have been of, weird, too. But I couldn't understand a lot of people that I know who never matured because my mother never did. How much older was she? Like, was she young compared to like, uh, like my mom was super young when she had me. Yeah, my mother was like 19 or something. Uh, yeah, my mom was like me. 16. She had my brother around that age. Yeah. And things, but my mother was very, very street. Yeah, so as you got older, though. And you start learning these things. When you come back and deal with your mom, it's kind of a mind fuck because you're like, wait a second. The person who was the adult who I was looking to was not seeing things in the way that I as an adult now see things. My mother was never the adult. <laughs> she was just the older person. She was with the shit <laughs> at all times. All times. She would rather fight than argue. My first album is my mother's mugshot. Yeah. You know, and so she's a major part of my story. If I got to shoot out in front of my building, I got to run in my house and go get my gun. I got to do it quietly because my mother will run behind me with her shit so, to so, get it in too. So to protect your mom and or whoever you're shooting at, you don't want to alert your mother. Nope. She's with it. <laughs> she's pulling up. And that never changed. Never changed. I used to call her Grandma Dynamite. Yo, Grandma, when you gonna bake some fucking cookies or something, stay home. Like, she hung out all day long. My mother was on the methadone clinic for like 30, 40 years, right? So she went to the methadone clinic like it was a nine to five <laughs> for years. She's up early. She's on time. She's dressed. And she's and after she go get her methadone and all, she hangs on the block with all the other people, you know, from the methadone clinic. Like, this was her... Everyday oh, thing so And hustling drunk. She's selling pills She's selling methadone She's selling whatever You know what I mean After being at the clinic Yeah Then hustling outside the clinic Outside Everybody from the clinic Was outside of the clinic Doing that This was the environment What it consisted of Okay so How did you become a lowlife? It was just a brotherhood Like dudes lived next door To each other And Just trying to survive That's how lowlife Was born you know Um it was dudes from Crown Heights. It was us in, in Brownsville, you know, Marcus Garvey Village. The Crown Heights people were on St. John's and Utica. There was dudes from the Bronx that was down. Uh, there was dudes from Queens and things like that. My, my dude bought Kim. I talk to, like, I assume everybody knows what we're talking about. Yeah, you should, I was going to say. If you I know. I can't. It's too hard. Low Lives as a group of dudes that would boost, steal, or however they got. Just tons of Ralph Lauren polo. Right. And it would be the the flyest dress gang. When you think of gangs, you think like dirty motherfuckers on the block. 
These dudes had the flyest gear of all time. To this day, I'm obsessed with polo because of growing up in New York City and seeing all these kids with all this different low on. But you couldn't also, I wouldn't wear low because I'd be scared it would get stolen. On the train, they would take take your polo shirt off of your body. Now, now, now real quick, not to get ahead, Saif. Would you guys hit people up just for wearing generic polo? Like, even if they were just wearing a red, a red polo joint with the horsey on it, po- regular polo polo. Nah, that's, that's not considered a power piece. No nah, but if someone that. stumbled, <laughs> if someone's grandma accidentally bought them the sweater with the bear on it and it was a nicer, harder one to find, mm-hmm. it's coming off. I mean, if we don't know you. That was, right. Even, even the dudes who knew each other. Like, dudes who go boosted and everybody got to ride the train back home. The people you with are going to rob you first. They the first ones to test you. That was part of the low life thing. You got to hold it down even after you get it, even amongst your own people. Which, by the way, really speaks to the name low life. It's the double entendre of low life. But that's how you got your respect. Everything in Brooklyn was about respect, especially in places like that. So you stand up, you fight for yours, then they begin to respect you. And then that shit stops at some point. To where you know you've earned your stripes, you earn your, they know you're going to fight back. So even if you take the L and they take it off you, but you come back to fight another day. You respect it. You respect it if you, if you show up again after going through some shit. Some now, niggas ain't trying to hear it like, I'm coming back. I don't give a fuck. You know, it's happened to many. Now, wow. now boosting is a bunch of people from, this is stories I heard as a kid. A bunch of y'all would go into Macy's and at that time the polo section was on the first level. At all times, the polo section is on the first level by the door till this day, no matter what department store you go to. That's Ralph Lauren placing their stuff when you go. And then it's usually Tommy Hilfiger right next to him. Uh And then Nordica's right. Every single department store has it like that till this day. Even after tons of people would go in and grab stuff and leave, they still keep it in the front. Because it has to be accessible to the consumers when they're walking in. That's usually what they're coming for. So it had to be right there by the doors. And that's what you said. And this was mostly a New York phenomenon. So they don't need to move it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even if it was bad here, it wasn't the entire world that they were suffering. Nah, but lowlifes was traveling everywhere to do it. You know, there was a lot of lowlifes hitting Philadelphia. Yeah, you go on missions. Going cross state. What was the first? Do you ever go on any faraway missions for it? Wait, I'm, I didn't here get the, I'm doing local first. Oh, sorry. Hold sorry, on. Sorry. Yeah, you know, so how Jersey. many people go into Macy's? How well, many of y'all? There's a difference like boosting and then like when there's a hundred dudes, there's no time to boost because everybody's racing you to take the, to get it first. Right. So that becomes a, a rush. A hundred people would go? It'd be a hundred people sometimes. It's times where people Is see this- us and they know where we're going. We get fucking tag-alongs just coming, tagging along. People you don't even know. So you know. ride the train from Brooklyn, you get down to Manhattan, you get off the train a hundred Brooklyn dudes running up in the store, and snatching then, everything, and then, then other people would see you be like, "Oh, we know what they about to do," and they will follow. And now, you, real quick, how do you how do you know? Tell us, and this is again, this is a lifetime ago. It was a different Thurston Hell, mm-hmm. but what was your mentality as far as the best way to come up? What was your strategy when you guys would roll in of how you were going to leave with the best shit? You snatching whatever's in your path. So you don't know what's the best shit. There's times like dudes who go boosting, they would target certain things and do what's called like city slicking, where you'll go one or two guys and, you know, you're just quietly doing it, right. stuffing it, putting it away. But on a rush, if anything goes, dudes <laughs> run out with the mannequin fully dressed. <laughs> 
Uh, the doors It was a point where the doors They got hip to us They started lo- having automatic locks on the doors When you're trying to leave Garbage cans start flying through I, glass windows I heard, glass yeah, I heard the story of They locked the doors And then the, the display window just started broke yes. And everybody ran through Garbage cans start <laughs> flying And so, then heroes You like when you running out these stores You got these innocent bystanders Who want to be heroes And they yeah. attempt to oh, get you no. I remember dude Coming with Rockwallers and sicking them on somebody and, you know, the Rockwallers biting the dude and holding them for the police. But you get really innocent bystanders who look like they never had a fight before, you know. But it, it, it's way more than boosting with low lives. It wasn't just a close thing. Low lives did all the negative shit that you can imagine. Okay, I was, let me just get to Macy's part. So who would organize the, let's say it's 40 people this day. It's a slow day, light day. Who, how do you organize it before the internet, before cell phones? Like, is it every Sunday? Is it every... I mean, I wasn't an everyday booster like that. I, I just take, I do everything. So I take yeah. everything. But some dudes did it like a job consistently, maybe <laughs> three times a day. They knew the meetup time spots. You know, so somebody, it's like St. Okay. John's in Utica, Rockway Ave, right. three train. And usually when all the low lifes in Brownsville will meet up at the train station, when they get on that train and three stops away is Utica Avenue, soon as you're pulling into the train station, all you see is all the other colors of them standing there waiting. And then, you know. Well, you guys wear to- low to go boost low? You got all we're dressed up every to do day. crime. All day they wear low. Just yeah, to but do what- crime. You got dressed up to do crime. <laughs> Yo, but you, Saif, do you realize what you just said? You got dressed up to yeah. do crime. Yeah. Got dressed up to do crime. But but wouldn't that be a major tip off when people see a group of everyone coming wearing low head to toe? Like I said before, the promotions mattered. We <laughs> wanted people to know who we were, no matter where we went. Even at the same time, when we went after we rush a store in the day and clean them out, everybody got the same shirt on that night and we go to the club. <laughs> wow. And then we got dudes like just changing shirts all night in the club. <laughs> that is just oh, just to stu- oh, because there's like layers that you start. We yeah. we more stunting on each other because right. we the flyest niggas. We the comp. Right. Only competition is us. And so I gotta compete against you because you the fly on my team. So I'm trying to outdo you. You know. And the, and half of the point was to look fly. And then would you sell the other low that you stole? Yes. Okay. So dudes, it was- would, dudes would sell the low, but it was more than just polo. You know, a lot of. Coats were being stolen this, in the Sherlin era. Yeah, 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 yeah. The eight ball. Yeah, that's boosting. So, yeah, so everybody bought everything. And whatever, you know, whatever you didn't like that you stole, you sold. Did you ever buy any polo yeah, back, bought, back then? That's yes, what I was about yes. to ask. You'd yes, still go I to the bought, store and buy. I even had a job at all times. <laughs> People don't know that. I've always had a job. No matter what I was doing on the side, I, was always, I always had a job. I always... Was like worked my job to perfection. I always rose in rank and position, and the only reason I would lose the job is because I would get arrested for something outside of work, a crime. Nothing. Somewhere else. No, you didn't I steal never got fired from, from nothing. I mean, right. I want to say okay, all yeah, that. I'm saying, but like but you didn't get. That's not why you got arrested. Nah, it was for outside. It was stuff. outside stuff, you know. And then, but I've always had a job, no matter what. Was <laughs> would you ever? Would you ever go hilarious. back? Would you ever go back to a store that you robbed and also spend money at that store to buy polo? Of course. But there was no cameras like it is nowadays. Let me tell you how serious it was. Like on 42nd Street, right? Times Square. I'm I'm also a 40 drinker. So I drink 40s all day. Mm. So low lifes, we walk in every store, we pick up every 40 and we walk out. (laughs) It's just how it's done. We walk in the movie theaters in Times Square, we walk in, we don't pay. 
we go sit down. So what I would do, when you go in the movie theater, you know how you go out the back doors? You get a dude to go out to the back door to hold the doors. A bunch of us go out. We go into the stores, take all the 40s, and then we go back in the movie just, theater. Just walk the in the store, just walk grab the, the door, 40s, and walk out. So one day I'm on a date with my girl like on a Sunday. Oh, and that's I'm just, sweet. You know, that's I'm just, nice. I'm just walking that's on the deuce. Super right? duper. I'm just walking on the deuce. I'm walking with my girl. We're going <clears> to see a movie. And there's a store. I go to this store all the time and just take all that shit. So when I'm walking by the store, the man is outside the store. And he's looking at me. He goes, can I talk to you? He knows I'm here every fucking week doing that shit. And he explained to me. He's like, listen, you know, every week you come. Take on my beard. You, he said, you know, I'm a gun owner. This is my shot. I, I'm allowed to shoot you. I can, I can protect my store, but I don't want to do that. Please. Anytime you want the beard, just come tell me and I'll give it to you. So then after that, every time I came on the deuce, I just say, what's up? Hey, uh, give me 440. And he'll, he'll bring them out. I never had to walk in the store no more. Wait, wait, wait. So like what that. was the point then for him? He just wanted you to it's be polite. Violence, violence. He just it's, he didn't want exactly. a threat of something happening. Follows. Yeah, bro. What, if you run in there and one of them dudes act wild and he might get killed or he might have to kill somebody. Or there's other there's other customers. They, it scares them. Customer. Or they might instead of just taking a forty one day, they might walk over to the register. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, I'll give you. I'd rather give you exactly five that makes six forties. I actually you, get that. Okay. Yeah. You know what's interesting about this entire Good conversation logic. is we live in a time where everyone is acting as if the crimes we're seeing have never been committed before. They're just running in the Apple store and they're taking iPhones. Oh, no so, one's ever been so brash it's so, before. It's so much weirder now though, right? Like I don't is it weirder? It's they just, were going a hundred a time to Macy's and robbing the whole place blind. And 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 I'm everything. guessing and, robbing McDonald's. We go behind the counter and give out the food <laughs> to my people. It's so many of us like you <laughs> can't would, do anything. You would not dare, but you wouldn't dare because young, ignorant dudes from the hood. Some people who, dared, right? Yeah. And they yeah, get yeah. pulverized. Not all the time. Because remember, we teenagers and kids too. So there was time we going against grown, experienced So men, people would take right? an L sometimes too. Yes, yes. This, I remember one time we on a train. Once again, we sitting down. Train pulls in. You see a guy standing there with massive jewelry. So, you know, we passed him. So everybody's running through the cars to go back to where he's at. And this, we're teenagers. We, I'm still frail, skinny. Everybody's like that. But this is a big dude, a grown man. So when we approached him, I just remember him zipping up his jacket, you know, to, to conceal the, the jewel. Yeah. And he started knocking niggas out. <laughs> boom. Boom. <laughs> he wasn't having it. I mean, eventually yeah. he got pulled. Overpowered him. But he it was way too many, but he put in that work. He he knocked back the first five or six. It's, like, it's like fucking Braveheart. Yeah, he put he, he he's like Jon Snow against five hundred thousand at one time. You have to. Yeah, it's crazy. You have to. But this was the mentality back then. We've evolved to be, you know, community-based organizations. We're righteous, positive. We don't even allow none of that within our organization anymore. You must be a certain way now. You must be of a mature yeah, man, the, understanding. This is the eighties like and nineties in New York, man. It's just so. What is it? So what is? What do the low lives do now? 
Well, we're, we're, we're an organization within hip hop. We are exactly following in the footsteps of what Rocksteady did and the Zulu Nation. We are an organization spread throughout the world with chapters in every country now. There's Still. everybody living. It's like continuously growing with no signs of slowing down. Wow. But we also preach love and loyalty. The two L's are love and loyalty now. It's not about being a low life. It's about having love and loyalty to your people, your family, being a father, being a husband. You know, our motto was once money, hoes, and clothes. So it's like, it's who got the most bitches? That's how dudes was on it. But you know, all that has changed, man. Many have evolved. Even myself through that program, you know, the fact that the program changed me so much, all they asked me to do was to pay it forward. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what I did. I've... I've helped transform hundreds of motherfuckers to change their whole frame of mind. Dudes would come home from prison like, yo, how did you do it? How did you change? And yeah. I'll show them the formula and, you know, tell them the decision-making process. And I was able to change I, a lot of people as well. I, mean, I could talk. I could talk this early low life for days. But so then I was in L.A. recently. I was meeting with this guy, Gabe. I forgot his last name. Uh, and he was he's a music supervisor. He did he music supervised um the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Did you see it? No. Oh, it's hip hop throughout the whole movie. I, I heard the commercials. And he, um, yeah. Can I kick it all through the movie? So I met with that guy and um we were talking and he said when he was younger, he booked Thurston Howell for some show at a college, blah, blah, blah. He was so excited. And then he showed me the a book and it's it's the the low life. His book, what's it called? Bury Me with the Low On. Bury Me with the Low On. I don't even know if there was words in the book. It's just pictures on top of pictures of him and a thousand dudes with all this fly polo on. I would go, I got to get this book, bro. I go online. It's like thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to get this book. How, how many did you print? I don't remember. Not a lot. <laughs> you made that book. I, I, that book. I, I made the book with Tom Gould, you know, the director, Tom Gould. We actually did it together in conjunction. And all these pictures are yours? Those, that, those are my archives. And uh, the newer photos was, were actually Tom's, who is also a photographer. He's also the director of the Timberland documentary that, that they just dropped uh, a trailer for today. Timberland the boot? The boot. Wow. Okay, so, you, so back then you was just taking mad pictures. Mad pictures. Oh, with, with a... Disposable camera or like a real no, camera? They, um, on 42nd Street and Times Square, the Deuce, they had photographers out there. Like when you came out the movie theater, yeah. there were tons of photographers with Instamatic Polaroids yeah. with these backdrops that would have like the current phrases well, or living the title large, overhead. Uh, yep. Maxin. Or, or some designer brand <laughs> yeah. as a background. And we talking like tons of, of, of backdrops everywhere. So... You know, I'm always fly, so I always wanted to capture the moment. Also, because mm -hmm. I go to prison a lot. I, I like to show people in prison, yeah. like, my proof of who I am and how <laughs> right, I Right, and what you are on the outside. Yeah, so that's how, you know, we always took pictures. And everywhere we went, I always took pictures, man. And I didn't know so, I was documenting my life. Right, right, man. right. I had no clue. I just know I'm a fly dude. It was, I want to make of the sure flyness. I capture the moment. Yeah. So where does your low collection stand? My low collection is different. Explain it. You know, everybody focuses on the clothes. I focus on accessories and furniture, right. I mean, things like that. Like rare, rare things, rare things that you you would have never believed. I got a polo Barbie doll, man. 
is that rare, you know what I mean? What's the furniture? What kind of furniture they have? Well, it's more the design. You know, and at MTV, I also worked with a lot of set designers and art departments and stuff. So every room I'm ever in, I turn into a set, basically. So, and it's usually always poloed out, however I could think, you know, like with all the accessories, they would have like basketballs, tennis balls, footballs, um, you know, china cabinets full of every kind of plate and spoon and fork. At and, one point you had wow. a, a polo helmet with a mic. Yeah, spit screen. The spit screen yeah. tape. To the I had the spit. The spit. Not it, tape. Was, it was actually called the spit boxer helmet. It was first. It, what it was was the boxing headgear. Right. And I attached like the 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 metal parts of the speakers to the ear, and yeah. I attached the spit screen to it. And then I did an ice hockey helmet like that. Yeah, I, I remember the ice. And hockey I would always polo them out with all the logos. You know, it would be an official ice hockey helmet, but it's loaded out. They were always my creations, something uh, I made. Oh, they weren't loaded. They make weren't those. Low, but you put you know, on it. when I'm rocking them, yeah, nobody's gonna think different. But right. they were my creations. Right. I'm in Mexico City. Randomly, HBO is on, and there's a Ralph Lauren. I'm a huge Ralph Lauren fan. You say Lauren or Lauren? Lauren? You say Lauren. Lauren Howard? I'll say it is. He says it the right way. What's the right way? Ralph Lauren. Actually, it's lip shits. That was your big setup to tell me? So, <laughs> a Jew from the Bronx. Yes. Um, so, so there's documentaries on about Ralph Lauren, and I was like, what is this? So, I'm sitting there watching it for about a half an hour, and I go, you know what's crazy? Everything I know about Low is from these guys, and the low light, they would never, ever even put, Bam! Thurston's in the fucking documentary. I'm like, holy shit. You stole so much shit, but yet you're in the documentary of Ralph Lauren. And then they had Tyson Beckford because he was the first black model uh, model for, for Ralph Lauren. And he's like, man, when I used to see those guys. <laughs> so, so how'd that come about? So how did you get in? the? How did they turn from what you did back then to them respecting it? I mean, I think it was more of them seeing me as the evolved man and seeing me with my children in photos, you know, my promotions of what I do. I show my family very yeah. much. So they seen the difference in me to actually even want to be associated with me. So the director who was Susan Lacey, uh, she contacted me about, you know, being in the documentary of his life story. Yeah. Uh, this is a no brainer. Of course, I'm with him. But even after but that, why would they even contact you? Like because I was I was the missing link. Remember, I helped create the religious culture of this brand within in the streets or in the, in the urban community or like I would just say in the world because it spread through what we did in hip hop. It spread all over the world, Most and they acknowledge people, that they acknowledge it. It's a no brainer at this point. So, Everybody acknowledge it. Yeah, even to the point where they made they made me a model. So when, when, they, when my book came out, they started reissuing some of their vintage stuff, which they never did yeah, before. Yeah, they never did that. My book showed them everything that, you know, was of value and that people were. Because we also <laughs> created the reseller market where those pieces from back then are going like for $5,000, yeah. your jacket and things like that. So they saw the value within what we were doing and they saw the necessity of me being a part of that. You know, right. this is how Susan Lacey explained it to me. Yeah. And she said, you were exactly what this 
needed to, you know, finish it off. And I have my own section, like in his document. No, it's a big section. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I gotta watch this. I think this. I spoke more oh, than than everybody besides Ralph and his wife. Yeah. Wow, really? It's mm-hmm. very impressive of how much they showed you in that doc. And it's, it's not throughout the whole doc. It's one dope ass section. So, so, so back to your collection for a second. Did you sell off a lot of the clothes? I sell everything because I'm always recycling and, you know. You don't have any, like, are there any pieces that you wear that are like, I'll never get rid of this. This is my special occasion. I, things you really hold dearly or no? Is it all sort of can move? Almost everything moves, but there's certain pieces I'm holding for the museums and things like that. Stuff I wore in certain videos, mm-hmm. some things that I wore in prison that, you know, have so much history. Those pieces you are waiting low for- in prison? Some can wear low in prison. <laughs> Wait, you know? I mean, you didn't have to wear like a prison jumpsuit? like Yeah, yeah, but you could also like when you're a detainee, you could wear your regular clothes. But then even in when you when you have a state issue uniform and think you're allowed to wear tops or you're allowed right, to right. have uh, sweatsuits and robes and right. things like that. So I always I always went all out. <laughs> man. That's amazing, bro. That's amazing. Um oh, can you say God. can you say anyone who you know of, who has an unbelievable low collection that you admire what they have? Oh, at this point, many. Anyone but, that comes to mind specific? Um, I would say the polo king of Japan, Dak Low. His polo collection is immaculate. Like in his photos, he looks like he's Bruce Wayne by day and like, you know, the polo hero by night, man. That's how his prestigious attire looks. Right. You see him in tuxes. He's also like a barber in Japan to where I think he's the only guy who does fades at his barbershop. So he's in the man out there. But there are many, like, you know, since the whole culture is created now. That's what I'm saying. Like, there are many collectors that is it's unbelievable. But, you know, I, like I said, I collect differently now, so... Any of the younger up and coming artists, when I say that, I mean, over the last 10, 15 years, whatever, the generations after you, did any ever reach out to you and and try to get game or just want to talk to you about low or or get your help? Everybody. I mean, they just want to have those discussions or talk about clothing and stuff like that. You know, but I I don't think anybody needed any help for anything. It's like I said, it's a no brainer at this point. Everybody's rocking low, but back to the to the Ralph thing after the movie premiere and all that. Um, once they got my book, once I was in the, in, in his documentary, then they re-released the Snow Beach collection. The Snow Beach is the one that, that was everyone like the went grail, crazy. The Raekwon, in other words, that's the one Raekwon made famous in the Can It Be So Simple video. Yeah. They actually hired me to be the model for the campaign of the Snow <sighs> Beach. So and then that must then have been once awesome. again. I, I, they re-released the Five Horsemen collection. They hired me again to be the model for the Five Horsemen How's collection. How's that feel, bro? It's got to be I so even, surreal. Oh, but it, it even went beyond that to where uh, last year, Ralph Lauren released the polo shirt book. And it's like this huge book about the history of the polo shirt. Yeah. And they featured me in several pages of the book, but I was also the dude on the campaign on billboards all over the world. I'm talking colossal posters, 10 stories high, but all over the world from Dubai, Japan. Like the fans on Instagram and all were sending me clips from everywhere. Even when you purchase clothes, (laughs) now my picture is in the box. When you open the box with your clothes in it, you see me with the advertisement of the book. The greatest part is I was in there with my son, you know, so... It definitely helped seal, 
you know, who I am in hip hop, you know, and I got to yeah. thank Ralph for that because he helped seal me. A lot of dudes ain't come in hip hop to extend their hand to help me. You know, I've been in this game for a long time, but his stamp of who, approval. He, mm. What do you, I wonder why he embraces it. Like, you think it has anything to do because he's American? Because, you know, a lot of these European brands, they don't like us wearing their shit. But I think he's well. Also, maybe he's just. Money, man. I was to say maybe he's just smart. Yeah, it makes like money. like like in the nineties, the obsession with young hip hop fans with low, it all essentially comes back to that. Even yeah. if I didn't know in 95, 96, when I would go to Montgomery Mall in Bethesda and I'd want to buy polo, even if I didn't know about the low lives specifically, that is the reason I was there. Ultimately, right, right, right. Like whatever you stole. You made them way more money in marketing than anything you could have stolen boosting. I believe that when they were seeing, like, you know, from the reports from the store of the missing items, they knew what to manufacture more of by seeing what was stolen. They, that's how they knew what was in demand. <laughs> it's so such a paradox of what yeah, it should be and what I mean I guess you, I mean what you were doing was making the shit go viral what we call now mm-hmm. viral like well you know me and all the low lifes yeah, yeah, I don't component. mean you I'm just saying you yep. you, you people I mean, but that's what you want you, you clean it up was you people yeah, you yeah. people um, do you wear low every single day nah I'm a working man like I'm always building something I'm always repairing something I'm always building a set. I'm, I'm always working out. So I dress like a bum, man, all the time. You know, I live in a place where nobody knows who I am. So right. I don't have to live up to the hype or the expectation. And that's what I love about where I'm at. I don't got to get dressed. Like in New York City, I got to get dressed to go anywhere. Yeah, to live the brand. I got the image. Yeah. Yep. So um, when you come to, you're like, oh, I got to go to New York, do some interviews. And you got to go yeah. get the pieces. I you got to get a couple of days going through the bins. How much low did you get when you were doing the modeling and all that stuff? What you mean, from them? Yeah, from them. I mean, they, they were blessing me. You know, <laughs> Come on, you know. Giving me pieces, you know. Hey, um, nice. hey, real quick. The album title again? Thought Skill Illustrated, produced by Mateo Guest. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't Crazy want you to think banger. we're disrespecting. I understand you have a project out right now. And we need oh, to talk about it. So good, but I so just, good. there's so much shit. Wasn't there supposed to be a low? Was Fab working on a TV show or something they were trying to make about the low lives? Uh, right now, uh, I'm doing a situation with Kevin Garnett, Adam Sandler, and Blowback Productions, my good friend Mark Levin, and we have the scripted low life series. Coming. Really? About the, about the low life the story back then. based around my life. And that's happening. That's happening. Congrats, it's, Is bro. it in production, or where, where do we stand? Uh, the strike just happened, so right. we have so, to wait for that to it's be over. resolved. It's over now. Oh, oh it's, it's over? So yeah, well, they, the, the writer's well, strike yeah, they, is over. Yeah, yeah they yep, pretty so much I worked out the deal. we're back. You know, we're ready, we're ready to go into development. Oh, my God. That's going to be so crazy. Uh, so you're going to play you? I don't know, man. Can I be in it? You can play me. You're, can I? No, I don't want to play you. You're going to be a young, skinny you. Can I be the guy from the store with the 40s? Hey, oh, yeah, Papa, yeah, yeah. Papa, you don't have to steal. Can I want to be that guy. I want to be. Come on, I'll give you the 40s. Yeah, can, I, can I be like an annoying manager at Macy's? <laughs> I, mean, I, I could do that. Once casting is happening, hey, everybody. Please find us a random spot. I will let That'll you be know. a great Easter egg for an episode yeah, 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 yeah. that Sif and I pop up as two random schmohawks. <laughs> I can uh, see it though I can see it Yo man This has been super duper cool bro 
we we've enjoyed this, and I also Bro, I can do this. I can talk about this for hours, man. Thank you so much. And I enjoy I, like, I enjoy I your your career too, and your trajectory, and the way that you continue to just create. You're not the only one like this. A lot of artists of the that generation that just found your audience. You know mm-hmm. it's out there. Listen, everyone will sit here and and shit talk streaming. Because if you're a really rich artist, you want to sell a record and you want it to sell 5 million copies at one time. But if you're an indie artist, there's a real beauty to streaming in the way that your music could continue to always circulate and new people can find it and it gets recommended and it gets playlisted. And it's just cool. I love the way that you continue to put out music and, and find your lane while living your life. You know, you have your, you know, you're a superhero. You got your nine to five Clark Kent and then you throw on your low at night and are the artist, you know, Thurston Howell the third. So uh, it's super cool that you're doing it and we're blessed that you came by, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. I want to please come back. Cause we didn't even touch on hip hop. Like how much just being friends with Sean P how much you was probably around black moon, Helter Skelter, Smith and West in those days. And then like then the lyricist else? lounge era, the lyricist lounge, game era. M&M. Def- Eminem, Eminem, game, game we, records, we the rap Olympics team together. Wait, you and Eminem were on a rap See, Olympics we gotta, team. You gotta, you gotta come back, bro. We, you gotta come back. No, I, w- I was at the state. We was on sway show. And when, when, when we were rhyming on the radio and he got picked up by Dre. Because we was a team at the time, you know, competing against people. Right. There's a lot, man. There's a lot. Dasif, how do we leave? He, you didn't give him any fashion sense. He dresses horribly. I mean, I, he st- he stick to his lane. He, he had his lane. Got his lane. He got his lane. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. He his lane was sweatpants and a t shirt and and eating people to death on the microphone. Destroyed That's it. Him. Destroyed them. Them used to come to Browns. We don't hang out. Nah, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard and that. Paul Rosenberg. Yep. I was just saying this on the last the last situation I was on like with that. Nems. Yeah. Yeah, what? That Paul used to come out. No, hurry up. We'll get this Somebody out before Nems. Yeah. Fuck Nems. Let's get this shit out. And motherfucking <laughs> and and rhyme. Paul would too? Paul would rhyme. He would jump in off freestyle sessions <laughs> and add his input and all that. Hilarious. Wow. Yeah. And Marshall would show up in Brownsville. This is pre being signed, pre anything. It was like when all of that began to happen. So you know, because AL also, was around, right? AL as used well. to bring yep. M around to places. Mm-hmm. Hey, where's AL from? He's from Bushwick, I think he's maybe from Queens or something. No, I think he's Brooklyn. I'm not even sure. You well, you know, you're not, you're not even gonna accept it. Nah, I don't know. You know how you Brooklyn, dude, I don't know, know how you Brooklyn people are. You Somebody know. AL's another skilled artist. You know, I talk. I battle AL the day I met him. <laughs> you know, I'm a battle. I'm a battle rapper, so I battle everybody. I ran around just attacking, you know, aggressively and. He was somebody that when I met, I was highly impressed that another Spanish dude could freestyle the way he did. And, you know, I'd never seen that before. So I need to make sure I'm better than you. And, you know, we always went at each other that way, you know, very respectfully now. But back then it was very disrespectful. And, you know, but it's because the skill was there within everybody, you know. Yo, uh, and real quick, did you have any idea that Eminem was that nice? Oh, yeah. You knew like there's a chance this guy blows the fuck up nice. Or I believe not. we all felt the same way about each other. That's why we were surrounded so much. And that's why we always looked at one another. I, I remember him telling me, yo, I never heard nobody like you. And I would say the same. Yo, I never yeah. heard nobody like you. Did you ever blow your kids minds like your 17 year old, for example? Like who could not fully understand, you know, where your situation was. Maybe your thirty-nine-year-old is a bit different, right? He's he was around in the he's around around that era. You ever like, yo, you see, Eight Mile comes on, you're like, yo, me and that dude were on a team together. Does it like yeah. blow his mind? 
Uh, they don't care. But I mean, you know, I got the photos. I got all the stuff. I got Wait, it. That's right. You got the photos too. Year old. Yeah. I got photos of us, you know, traveling. And How crazy is it that your 17-year-old probably has no clue of how you grew up? You know what's crazy? I tell him all the time because he be wanting to go outside with the Gucci slides on and the bees head on. I'm like, somebody going to take that? He's like, Dad. Shut that up, was 40 dude. years ago. That's his response to everything. Shut up, you that fucking was, idiot. I mean, that was 40 years ago because we live in a nice neighborhood. Let me take you to Brownsville and go to the store. Has he ever been? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah let me, I'll let you, let's see how 40 years ago I'm feels. I'm trying now. to figure out how to bring my kids to the Bronx. I mean, you just drive them around or, or get, get one of those tour buses where you sit at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, no, come back, let come back and talk hip hop with us, bro. Hey, whenever y'all ready. How man, often? How often you come back? I come back whenever there's work, so I'm Bet. always back and forth for the work. And he might have to do a photo shoot with Ralph. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, yeah. Could, be, that could be next week. So exactly. You never know. I'll come back, man. Say less. Thurston Howell the third. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. And once again, Sife. You know, of course, man. Thank you. Bro. Past is the past. Bro, I never know. And love is love. I, hey, I, I just, I just I'm need f- to say it. I just, need I appreciate to say it for that, myself, bro. You know what I mean? I appreciate that, like but I'm said, a fan first. And now, I, all the shit you said about him last week, I could tell now you don't feel that <laughs> way. All right, thanks, Thurston. That's what's up. Thank you, man.